Welcome back to Fret Buzz, the podcast, the podcast where we try to dig deep into the musical conversation that we musicians tend to have, whether that's through my personal favorite recording or being a student, technique, writing and composition, guitar, bass, drums, vocals, piano, uh, all of the above. We get into all kinds of stuff here at Fret Buzz, the podcast. This week on Fret Buzz, we have part two, about a 45-minute episode with Cole Holland of hollandaysmusic.com. Real quick, I just want to say follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, join our Facebook group, continue the conversation. Uh, we also have a YouTube page as well where you can actually see all our episodes if you're interested. Don't forget to visit us at fretbuzzthepodcast.com. Again, I want to encourage everybody to go over to iTunes and give us a review. Thank you for listening, and here is part two of Fret Buzz the Podcast with Cole Holland. What I wanted to jump into, uh, let's go back, um, coming out of Berkeley, uh, what were your plans and what did you dive into, and how did that lead up to your contract with um, the cruise? Right, so I hung around, I graduated in May of 2017 and I kind of hung around Boston for a bit. I was talking with some people and some teachers. I was possibly looking into getting, seeing if I was going to do a part-time teaching job um, at like a Berkeley summer program or something. Okay. Um, now, were you, were you thinking of teaching for Berkeley or was that just something to get you by? Both. There was okay. something at that, that could have uh, presented itself at the time if okay. I had really, uh, pursued it right really pursued it i think i really serious with a couple things but um i'm glad i didn't because i i realized that i need to be doing what i'm doing now and getting out exploring and playing and doing this and that yeah but um so i was like oh maybe i'll try and do some teaching so kind of like no matter what there's going to be some teaching involved so i long story short i left boston after like two months hanging around seeing people and playing you know trying to see i was gonna i was gonna make a band of people i've been playing with and record some original music and that mm. just I wasn't, I didn't want to do it. You know, I really want to take my time with my own projects. And I didn't want to do it then. So I went back home to Orlando, Florida at the time. And I had already been in and out playing with a lot of people there, making friends for the past two, three years. And I, um, I started gigging and I started working at um, School of Rock. Mm-hmm. I started working at School of Rock. I get confused with Bach Rock. I started working at School of Rock. <laughs> So I, I was doing I was doing private lessons and then I was started teaching there. So I was doing stuff in and outside the schools, and then I was picking up gigs, uh, doing like jazz fests and little uh, little um, corporate stuff here and there. But pretty much mm-hmm. steady, steady uh, bar stuff like playing downtown and playing right. around, right, know, right, little stuff just to play, make some cash, right, and meet people. So I was just kind of doing that for a bit and playing with this one group for a while. Leisure Chief is the name of that group. They're putting out some new content soon. Really cool guys. And the um, sax player for that group, sax player Flautas, so on, he um, just literally tagged me in a Facebook post. I've been home for about four or five months, and I was making, you know, pretty decent money enough to get by. You know, right. I, was, I, was, I was doing all right. Yeah. But it uh, wasn't really what I wanted to do. I really wanted to be able to go, and I wanted to do some something like a tour, you know, but then – so I figured that, that wasn't going to happen where I was. I was going to start writing and doing much writing and whatnot. But then I just uh, got referred through Facebook on this for the cruise thing because the uh, 
DB Kings All Stars at Sea is what it is. They have uh, a whole Facebook page and a website dedicated to uh, auditioning online. It's all online. So I sent in video footage. Um, I sent in video of Can I Change My Mind by Tyro Davis, uh, Knock on Wood by Eddie Floyd, and um, Route 66 by Natalie oh, yeah. Cole. Wait, I thought that was Bobby Troop and Chuck Berry. Uh, Did it. Nat- Natalie Cole version, like a big band version. Okay. I guess. Let me I love that song. John Mayer did it in uh, Pixar's Cars recently, too. Really? Nice. Yeah. So I just auditioned. And I have my, I actually, uh, I did use my Eastman. I think I'm one of them. I see you have an Eastman sitting there behind you. But yeah. I have, um, I used it on one song to get the nice classic hollow body style sound, mm-hmm. a little warmer sound. And then I use my Telecaster and the rest. I use a Telecaster for pretty much everything right now. Got a okay. custom tally that's super versatile. Mm-hmm. But I just laid down those parts and I got a call and I went out. I think someone else I originally had in my position, he backed out last minute. So I happened to call my boss at a good time where he was in need of somebody. And I guess he had me um, as one of his uh, backups or someone picked out. He had me picked out, but just there was no contract at the time. Right. So I happened to call him at a good time and got, got in on this contract with group of amazing players uh they are all kind of like a veteran group they've done it all at least two three times two two times three times like together like four or five of them so mm-hmm. it was easy to come in because they had a lot of songs already so it was really easy to just boom 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 go through songs real fast it was a little hectic for me at first you know i had like two weeks to learn um like a week and a half to learn like 50 songs for rehearsal so i just mm-hmm. grinded on that for a bit yeah and then once we got there you know we have um we were in the Caribbean for three months, three and a half months, almost four months. And that was just, <laughs> those are usually seven to 10 day cruises, something like that. Yeah. So we have to get our repertoire up like big time. So we got to learn like five songs a week, at least like five, six songs a week, rehearsing every day to get our repertoire up to at least like 70, 80, like 90 songs. So we're not playing the same stuff for these people by the fourth, fifth day, you know, cause we play six nights a week. Three mm-hmm. forty-five minutes sets the night, so you're going to get to hear us a lot. So we have to be able to not play the same stuff over and over again, or not have to stretch out songs or instrumentals to make up for time. We have to have you know a, a good diverse set list and a pretty big repertoire. Yeah, like I said, I mentioned earlier, the repertoire, the master list is like two hundred seventy something songs or two hundred sixty-five or something like that. And usually, you can get to like a hundred, hundred ten. And a perfect where we got, I got to like 120 in my first contract, and now it's added on to a lot of those same songs. It's probably around 135 songs I have in my head, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool to think yeah. about. But um, it just that it was just a lot of work in the beginning. You have to be rehearsing every day and getting, and it's all there's no music. It's all by ear. Oh, so really? It's all, yeah, there's no music. It's all oh, by wow. ear. Oh, okay. That changes yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. There's no charts or anything. No, you can make your own charts. I right. just, I had a notebook of notes and I, I, I tell you what, you know, you guys have heard writing stuff down, just to implant it in your brain, write stuff down. You won't forget it. Handwrite it. Don't write notes in no. your iPhone. Yeah. Handwrite it. Yeah. Handwriting. Yeah. With a pencil or a pen, you know? Yep. So I just, those first 50 rehearsal songs like got glued in cause I just sat at my desk and I'd be up till three in the morning every night, just write notes and playing them over and over again. I just wrote a bunch of stuff down and it just stuck. And then after that, it kind of became, um, became really easy for me to just be able to just sit down and learn a song, you know, by ear. I recommend just listening to it uh, throughout the day 
like have it playing in the background while you're working, doing something else and just kind of get it in your ear before you even actually sit down with the guitar and play it. But if you're in a time crunch, you got to sit down, listen to the song all the way through, don't touch a guitar, and then sit down and kind of jam along with it and noodle along, and then go ahead and start to, to work out the parts and everything. Yeah. But th- that first month totally changed uh, how I am as a musician, as a player, with having to you know, learn some pretty... Um, some parts are complicated. There's some very complicated songs, and then but also it gives credit where it's due and try to mimic a certain style like it's it's really hard to give to do pride and joy by cb ray vaughn like really do it up right and give it justice mm-hmm. you know i i i think i do a pretty decent job but like stuff like that sometimes can be a challenge when you have so many different tones and sounds you're trying to have dialed in for me i'm kind of perfectionist with tone and trying i get really close to a lot of these records with using a pretty small rig you know and using a telecaster at that so i have to be able to make that work and get all these different sounds and it just, it was a lot of that came into play, like being able to learn these songs during the day and then play them that same night. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, in the beginning, I would learn a song that day. We've learned a rehearsal and he pulled out that night and I would just forget something. And once you mess it up on stage once, you never do it again. <laughs> it's not for me. Yeah. Once you look back and you see someone just giving you like that glare and, yeah. then, you get, and then you get, you know, shoot out. Yeah. Like, like, hey man, you know you're going to get fired if you don't get your stuff together kind of thing. Like, okay, well, I guess I will go practice more tonight, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. definitely um, changed my work ethic and how I'm already a perfectionist, but even more so now it was very, I mean, the, this, this specific cruise gig with the PB King all stars is very cool because, okay, it's the PB King all star band. So the guitar is on every song. I don't get breaks. I'm playing every song. I get, you know, the most solos that everybody's record to tear it up, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. But you, um, for me, my stage presence is, is, uh, not good. It never has been. It's something I've had to work on for a long time and continue to work on. Right. It's my weakest, uh, it's my weak point right now. Cause I'll be having, <laughs> I'll be having a great time on stage, but I'm just straight face stone cold. Like I've only been moving, you know, I just, right, I'll get right. so into it. And also doing so much stuff with like jazz and I did a lot of gypsy jazz before I went to Berkeley. So you're just sitting down, you know, playing like, so now I'm up front and center, you know, <laughs> and I have to move and dance with all these dancers and stuff. And I'm a terrible dancer, but I, I'm getting somewhere. I'm definitely <laughs> getting somewhere, but that, yeah, you know, that's funny. Well, it's interesting. You know, I have two degrees in performance and you know, I have my AA that I got in the university in, in uh, Orlando and then I have my bachelor's from Berkeley. Right. And I did take courses on it, but like nothing, no <laughs> teach, no schooling, no matter how formal the education is, is going to prepare you to be just on stage. Like if you, unless you've been doing it already for a long time, which I had, I was primarily some guy, I do gigs every now and then, but I was kind of always in the background. So when you put front and center, it's a whole different kind of playing. You have to really, really aware of everything. Like that's what they say, practice in front of the mirror and whatnot. So you can kind of, you almost have to take a theater class. <laughs> Right. So that was, that's still a big problem for me, but the cruise thing is, it's just wonderful, man. And of course, you know, putting the travel aside, it's just like, you're playing with a lot of great players in this particular gig. Um, lots of people with a heavy, uh, church gospel background. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun. It's, it's very fun. It how, definitely has changed me. Just out of curiosity, how big is the ship? What's the occupancy? Uh, they have like six or seven, of these groups, of these bands, out of like the 20-some ships in the Holland America fleet, 
And by the way, I'm not related to this. Yes, I do share a name, last name with this ship, these ships. So are there like, company, are there like 500 people on these ships? Oh, no, no, no. Like 2,000. Two or okay. three thousand, only okay. like four or five thousand. The first ship I, I played on was the biggest one they have, up until the new one that just got released. They're both the same size. And the second one I was on was one of the smallest, oldest ones. But even the small ones are gonna have like fifteen hundred, two thousand people. Okay. Yeah. And they have the specific BB King Blues Clubs on these ships yeah. designed just only for our, our set during the night, anyways. During the day they'll do whatever. But um Is it like a theater setup where you've got a stage and um so the new one floors or anything the new one the new ship the first ship i was on the new ship they have like a dance floor and then they have dance floors and all of them but the, the new ones have a very big open area with dance floor and like mm-hmm. chairs and lounge area on the side and they have a second floor the one i played on this time was just one floor mm-hmm. a dance uh floor in the middle um decent sized stage this is a seven person band, so it fits us all just right on there. Um, and then just lounge areas, a little some in the back and in the front there, chairs in the front, and then some, um, uh, what do you call it, little booths and stuff, you know, in the back and the bar and everything. And you said what, three 45 minute sets? Yeah, six nights a week, every week. Okay, that's not bad. And rehearsing, you know, rehearsing every day, rehearsing sound check every day. So yeah, it's not bad. It gets to be, you know, Boom, what is boom. what does rehearsal look like? Rehearsals in there, same where, where we uh, we rehearse on stage. You know, we do it usually around five p.m., five six p.m. Mm-hmm. And we will just uh, you know one one player in the group is designated as the MD, the musical director, and they will uh, be in contact with our boss a lot. But they will pretty much be uh, well, they pick all the you know they make the sets for each night, so they'll spend a lot of time talking with our vocalists or male and female vocalists about songs they know in the beginning, so we can like pick out songs and start learning them quick because they already know the lyrics. Okay. So they'll conduct the rehearsal. So we kind of go in, just go over four or five songs, and then uh, let's say we'll see you tonight. Okay. So in his rehearsal every single night? Yeah. Except on our off day. We have one off day a week. Right, right, right. Okay. But so every day, yeah. Every day so is rehearsal. Okay. So you're doing a rehearsal every day behind closed doors. They close the club down, but I tell you what, guests mm. always find a way in. <laughs> and every now and then there's like the one pe- the one guy – or girl, but usually somebody's like the cool guy like that comes in like will mention something about oh you guys using the in ear monitors oh like they'll like slip in something <laughs> to show that they know right. something about music right and of so, course still like not enough to be like okay you're being annoying we're in rehearsal if you would know anything about it. you know like just to give us a wave and keep walking not to walk up and like hey can we join you guys with a beer in their hand <laughs> and sit down right in the middle of the day. Um, uh, I'm on a cruise, man. Yeah. <laughs> like I paid a lot of money to be here. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, one lady tells us she paid a lot of money, and we need to stop rehearsing right now. She walked up at, 11, at 12 p.m. noon and <laughs> shut down the rehearsal because she hadn't been sleeping. Because oh the, the way this particular ship was designed, the, the stage was above some of the guest staterooms, right. so she's hearing the kick drums. <laughs> So, like, there's something we can do about it. She comes down and tries to shut down our rehearsal. Like, you didn't pay the kind of money I paid to be on here and just, like, throwing us. Just <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hope, I hope they gave that lady a new room. Somewhere. I think they did. Uh, they tried, they, some, we never saw her again. Just, like, <laughs> after that. Better so, for everybody. So, yeah. you guys are uh, – you're playing – uh, you're not like playing on. Are you? You're not playing like the pool or anything like that. You guys usually in the club yeah. or in the right. Uh, it's always in the same in the club. 
Okay. So it's always in the club. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They have like literally, it's called the BB King's Blues Club now. It used to be Queen's Lounge. Now it is like the BB King Blues Club. The, um, I don't know if they're working on designing some of the rooms better because some of the rooms are not necessarily designed for this. Okay. Although this is a fairly new uh, project. There's only been a, I think this BB King's Blues Club at Sea is like four years now. So it's still. Three, four years, three and a half, four years. So, I mean, this, you know, this was implemented onto these ships, some of them already being 15 years old. So they had to mm-hmm. do what they can to redesign. So sometimes the sound can be a bit iffy. You have to make do with what you got in there with, right. in terms of sound technicians and some people that aren't uh, totally well equipped to be able to handle all sorts of problems. And some guys that just, you know, like they can get the job done, but there's certain things that are just might be a little over their head. So you got to, sometimes you got to deal with, um, you know, sound issues and electrical issues and whatnot. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's anything out of the norm. Just okay. you know, it's supposed to be like this is supposed to be setting you up for like uh, being tour ready. You know, mm-hmm. I guess you could say it's a very good yeah. uh, gig to speak to, to get you tour ready. But sometimes people forget that we're still not on a professional tour. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta under, let yourself know, understand that you're working with some people who are not, you know, this is not the only thing they do. Like, especially with the sound technicians on the ship. Some of these guys, um, I've been doing this for like eight, nine years, but they don't, they only do it like smaller scale. Like sometimes you get to a larger scale, seven piece band and everything's just not mixed right. And so you have to deal with all that. Right. Sometimes you got to deal with, with certain things like that, but overall it's, it's a great experience between the travel and, um, all, and the, that, that's all the perks. A, that's a six month contract. Uh, the first one was because we fly out to Memphis and rehearse for two weeks, and then we go out. So my first one, I, I flew out to Memphis November twenty seventh, and then I was on the ship like December seventh or something like that. So it was from December. I was I was gone November twenty seventh to May first, and then this one I was gone July, uh, like tenth or something to November fourteenth. So like hmm. in, in between like four and six months, usually okay. four to five months. Okay. All right. Yeah. And what the money's a, money's pretty good. Um, yeah, don't actually tell me what the money is, but money is yeah. pretty good. Okay. Yeah, it's a yeah. weekly pay that uh, is is good, and it, 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 I, I have to say, yeah, it's it's very good. It's because it's very easy to save. You know, it's very easy to spend too, <laughs> but it's very easy to save. Yeah, you're on a ship. Where are you going to spend your money? <laughs> yeah. think, trust me, you find ways, man. Like, right, right, right. We get fifty percent off of uh, booze and stuff, so sometimes it could be easy to get carried away. <laughs> And then just being around certain parts of the world where the your the um, currency exchange is in your favor, you know, so you go out and buy a bunch of clothes and buy suits or whatever, you know, just to have fun. But right. yes, it's very easy to save because you can eat for free with this particular gig. I'm just like a guest. Mm-hmm. I get to eat and you know, all this stuff, and I get to oh, oh, explore. Man. I just, you know, I work at night, and we're always at sea at night. Usually, you know, some ports were there till 8 p.m. or 10 p.m. Some very rarely, but sometimes we will have overnights. We did stay overnight in Russia a couple of times. Mm, but um, yeah, I mean, it was in the Baltic Sea this past time. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but, Sounds um, like you've had a rough life, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did the Caribbean for three months and then Mediterranean, which is Spain, Italy, Greece. Mm-hmm. And then I did the Baltic, this, which is Copenhagen, That's Stockholm, so cool. Helsinki, and then Iceland, Greenland, Canada. And then we'll be in Asia. <laughs> Shanghai, like we're going, we're going to Japan, Vietnam. Let me know if Vietnam. you stop in Hawaii next year. Yeah. Right? I'll be, I'll be over there. Nice. I just got a new contract for the ship as well. I just took a new one yesterday going to Asia. 
Oh, that's awesome. So I had to, well, I had to decide between you know taking this next tour and 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 going to Asia, mm-hmm. and not just not just for the itinerary, <laughs> but just to to go and play with some people I already know, or um, to kind of continue doing my own thing. You know, I've only been back for about a month already, not even yeah. a month. Right. So I kind of wanted some downtime to you know get, kind of shake off the ship rust a little bit because. I've been. I thought I have enough time to go over a bunch of stuff. I've been wanting to go over whether it's like some more solo guitar mm-hmm. stuff, and um, you know, lots of chord solo melodies and whatnot. Whether it's standards or doing like yeah. some Jerry Reed stuff, but it's right. okay. You know, I'm, I'm just I'm feeling ready to go back out. I just um, I originally had some plans to kind of do some writing and this and that, but it's all right. I can't pass up this opportunity. Right. That's it's it's a tough thing to do. You know. You always want to go and make the money, and I always want more time to practice. Always. Well, exactly. <laughs> always. Eight hours isn't enough in a day. No, it really exactly. isn't. I tell you what, especially this past year, I really learned a lot about time management and how much time I really have in a day when it comes down to it to get everything you want to get done because it's not just music. You know, Once you start playing so much music per week, you have to find time for yourself to go out, whether it's exercise or yeah. go walk around and not and, and t- totally – take yourself out of anything that has to do with music for me. Just be a normal person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be a normal human being. And like, you know, when I was at school, when I was at Berkeley, it was music, music you know, everything music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's no time to do anything else and didn't want to have time to do anything else, you know, because that's how it was. You want to just totally immerse yourself. Yeah. yeah but yeah, cool. that can be very deadly to just only be doing one thing all the time. You're not going to pull enough inspiration. You're not going to pull, you're not going to be able to just sit down in one spot for, for me personally, I can't just sit down in one spot for six hours a day without getting restless and needing something else. I can't just yeah be doing have, the same thing all the time. Yeah. yeah you have to force yourself out, out of that situation. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, in order to experience life and have things to kind of pull from, <laughs> yeah, you you kind of have to go experience life. <laughs> you do, you do. I mean, it's like you know, take someone for instance who is going to school for like creative writing. Hmm. You can't. You can be a good artist and you can be a good writer, but there's only you can only go so far. You have to you have to go out and experience stuff on your own. You have to be able, like, like you said, pull from something. Otherwise, you can't just learn this and that and learn a bunch of stuff that's already been taught to a bunch of other people that you might, you know, take into your own hands and make it new, but you're still, you don't have anything to pull from. You got to go out and explore and meet new people and see new things. It's scary as it seems at first, you know, change is like the scariest thing for most yeah. of us. Oh yeah. At absolutely. first. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big it's not, conflict. It's, yeah. It's necessary though. <laughs> it is. It's a big conflict right now. I mean, like, you know, I could have decided to, to say, you know, I want to go to Nashville. I don't like to do the cruise thing. I want to go straight to Nashville because I've been really thinking about going and checking out Nashville and checking out some other cities and seeing mm-hmm. what's going on there. But um, for right now, this is good. This is good where I'm at. That's awesome. So what what uh, sound on – I mean, God, I'm thinking about how much money I would save not being able to go to Guitar Center and stuff. But Oh, yeah. Like – what equipment do you use on the ship uh, when you're performing, other than your Telecaster? Right, so they provide uh, all the backline. Oh, they um, have the amp for you. Yeah. What kind of amp do they have you used? This time, thank God, it was a uh, Fender Deluxe oh, Reverb. Nice. But the first one, they had the Fender Deluxe that was like totally shot. The tubes were just awful. Uh, and it's like you know the clean tone sounds gritty. You know, it's that bad. Yeah. So I was using uh Roland Jazz Course, uh-huh. JC one twenty or the little one. The, it was a big one, but like it would like 
project sound wherever the amp was turned, and you literally couldn't hear, like, from the side of the amp. It was, like, so the way wow. it was tough, the way the band could never hear me, you know? It was tough to, you have to get the mix would be, you have to get the mix just right so everybody could hear you, but everybody just fine, except not just during solos. But you, you didn't have a, a mic on, like, a E609 or something on your amp? Yeah, 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 we do. Oh, but then, okay, like, so we're not, like, just sometimes the monitor mixes where we're not right. always... Right on point. Right, that goes back to what I was saying earlier. Some of these guys, just the mixes are right. like the board will get like white clean every now and then. You have to just redo the whole mix. Like something, it's crazy stuff will happen. We're just right. like the whole shit. Like it's all like one big board. Like everything will just crash, and then you have to like redo the. Like it's happened in the middle of shows for other people before. Where they're just like all the sound oh. just stops. Oh. Yeah, but um, so all the backlines provided though, and they've been doing a lot of upgrades the past couple of months, past year, mm-hmm. which is great. But I just bring, I bring, a, I have a dual mono case, so I bring, a, I have my D'Angelico, my semi-hollow body I bring, and then I have my mm-hmm. Telecaster. But I really touch on D'Angelico, like I said, this Tele is so versatile. And once you dial in a tone, you can really, you can really, what, let me say this, I was reading, looking at something recently, like, it doesn't matter what gear you have, as long as it's, you really know your way around it. If you were regular, you really know your way around you can get as much sound as you want out of it, I think. It doesn't have to be inexpensive. You can make it work, and you can make it your own if you really know it. So I really had a good handle on my rig. I mm-hmm. look at a lot of tone. I mean, I bring my um, my Pella rig with me. Been doing some upgrades, but I just right, – actually, this past time, I had I had a compressor, which I use a lot, a little tiny compressor mm-hmm. made by Full Tone. Do you use that like for, this big? like, all the time? Do you Is that an always-on yeah, kind of thing for that, you? Yeah, that has become – almost an always on pedal now because I love the, uh, the tight compressed sound mm. that this particular compressor gives, but it mm-hmm. also really can boost the tone of the brightness and the overall, uh, the beefiness to it. When you need a little extra, umph, it almost acts as like a boost pedal more yeah. than a compressor. It's really interesting. Like I never was into compressor pedals at all. And this thing just totally opened up my playing and, yeah. and ability to get like a lot of different tones and stuff. So, mm. That's almost like an always-on. I have this new um, Dumbloid Overdrive special. It's like an Overdrive uh, and Boost pedal in one, but it's this big Overdrive Dumbloid pedal. It looks beautiful. And then I actually brought another. I broke my other distortion pedal, so I just replaced it with an, an OCD I had laying around. But those OCD mm-hmm. pedals, you know, you see them all over the place. They're not bad. You can get some good tones out of those. Mm-hmm. They live up to it. And then I just use for, like, on the road, because now I'm kind of making two rigs right now, at home slash studio use, and then an on the road uh, right. rig. And like the TC Electronic uh, Hall of Fame reverb and the TC Electronic flashback, the red and blue. The mm. blue is the delay and the red is the reverb. They're a, really, they're a great combo for delay and reverb. You don't need a whole lot when you're on stage. I mean, it's very small, like simple pedals, not a lot of effects on it, so I can just be able to go and get my sounds dialed in quick and keep rolling. You Would know? you rather use that uh, the, the pedal rather than the Fender's? Spring reverb? Yeah, so my reverb broke uh, I, like a month into the past contract, so I just used the reverb through the amp. Mm-hmm. And that was great, but that reverb through this particular amp would linger. Even on three, three and a half, the deluxe reverb, uh, it would linger. Yeah. It, would just, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't faint. It would just keep going. That's when the first time I noticed huh. that. Seems like uh, an like, amp problem. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. That specific amp. Yeah. It's not normal. So I keep it in between two and three, and then for uh, some – uh, BB King songs and other slower uh, blues tunes or whatnot, I, you know, boost the reverb a little bit. But um, I did use the reverb through the amp pretty much that entire time. And then, you know, volume uh, pedal I use quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Wah pedal, of course, got to have that. <laughs> uh, 
I have a boss uh, uh, CE, Core CE2. Okay. It's the blue one. It's from the yep. 80s, original from the 80s. Yep. Amazing sound. I love that thing. It's so nice. I have, I have one as well somewhere around here. Yeah. <laughs> I have a Yankee power supply that I use. That is amazing. I highly recommend those. You, I got one you can actually adjust the voltage for your last four outputs. So if you have a, a obscure pedal or something that requires something other than nine, right? Uh, nine volt or whatever, you can change yeah, it. Fourteen or twelve. That's cool. Right. Um, and then I also bring stuff just to practice with. I got a Ditto X4 loop station that I use to loop uh, stuff and practice. You know, I like to sometimes when I, I started getting into like adding in. Um, like some sort of bass groove. Let's just play, play a line, a bass line on my guitar on like an odd time, like five, four, seven, seven, eight or something, and then practice my modes over that because every day I do a key. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, so today it's F, tomorrow's G flat, next day's G, just go up and every day I do all the modes through all the keys. So like just major mode, melodic minor, harmonic minor, harmonic major, and that's like something I do every day. Mm. So I'm just kind of bringing some tools to help get, have some fun when you know just to loop stuff and, and practice when you're stuck on a ship you know you have a lot of time yeah yeah the looping pedals like the number especially with christmas being right around the corner a lot of my students parents have been asking me like yeah hey you know we're thinking about getting little joey something for you know for the guitar for christmas what should i get him like loop yeah looping. that was the best thing i had i was telling yeah. you guys earlier yeah. when I, I would learn a chord and you go i just would play it on the loop pedal and just figure out how to solo around it. And that's yeah. like something that John McLaughlin did religiously. Actually, he would take a, a chord with a little more color to mm-hmm. figure out how to solo around it. How many different ways I can solo around it. Like you take an a seven sharp five, sharp nine. Okay. Mm-hmm. What modes can I, what, what, first of all, where does that exist? And what other cool things can I do over that to blow over and make it really cool? You know? So mm-hmm. I think a looper is essential to somebody who is really wanting to help, open up their soloing i think it's very much essential so you can sit down and just spend like two hours just just putting everything in your head out there over maybe yeah. one chord yeah. maybe two chords yeah without the pressure of you know being in a live situation or even around right. your friends or your right. you know bandmates like you don't want right. to figure it out in front of them right like you don't have to invite over that friend anymore to play <laughs> chords yeah for you <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, right. And then and then you you know, you've got the drum machine inside <laughs> as well. So you, there's your drummer. You yeah. basically got a whole band within, you know, a pedal nowadays and yeah. It's extremely important for you to explore how to utilize either scales or chords yes. or just kind of having some fun. It, it's yes. What so what what does your practice routine look like? What do you do on yeah. a daily basis? So no matter what, it's got to be the mode. So every day, like, it's just going up the keys every day. So like I said, so today I'll start back at square one because I actually, for the first time in a while, since I played so much this year, I took off, I kind of got off my practice routine. So it's been like a week since I've uh, done my actual usual practice routine, not just like noodling. But it makes me, it really hurts my heart too. My teacher coming right now, I think he pissed because he's like, I haven't missed a year a day practice in like 20 something years, you know? (laughs) But then I also read the, I don't know, this is Gary Burton, uh, biography in the book he wrote about his life and legacy and everything and and where he's been, but like how he thinks about music and he Mm wouldn't practice every day. Everybody's different, you know, everybody's different. Sometimes it's good. But anyway, so let's say today is the key of F. So I sit down we have our major mode. 
So that's Ionian, Dorian, Phrygian, Lydian, you know, all the ones everybody knows. Mm-hmm. But then you go through uh, melodic minor, I go through melodic minors, then that's, you know, just a major scale with one note change. And then you go to a, a harmonic minor. So then you have, um, now you have two notes change. And mm-hmm. then you go to harmonic major, which is a major scale with one note change. So really you're working within very close uh, proximity to what you probably already know. But, you know, melodic minor, harmonic minor, and harmonic major offers so many more possibilities when you really think about it and break it down because I'll spend time um, saying out loud for each mode what the tensions are because every – so we think about it as like major mode, Ionian, very basic. So I, I say 9, 11, 13. Every, yeah. every um, chord within the mode has tensions, 9, 11, and 13. And, you, you know, people get confused and like, well, what, what is a flat 11? So flat 11 really is just a, uh, a raised third. So like if we're talking about harmonic minor, for instance, we have a, a flat six major seventh, but we're going to have a sharp nine over a major chord, you know, a sharp nine, a sharp 11 and a 13. So I would say those tensions out loud before I even play the chord. So if we're in the key of C, mm-hmm. flat six major seven, and I start an A flat and you play, mm-hmm. the, you play the mode, I say flat six major seven. Uh, sharp nine, sharp eleven, thirteen. I go ba, ba, da, 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 and I play the play the mode. I do that for all of them. And sometimes even the hard challenge is actually to call out the tensions while you're playing them. So A flat nine. You say when you hit B flat, you yell out nine, and then you keep going. That's that was very challenging. But I always start off with do the modes, and always have the tensions for each one because that helps just kind of open up and think about more chord possibilities and whatnot. Like uh, you doing that. So that in the context of like a jazz solo or whatever else, you can purposefully like over the two, you know, or say over the five chord, you can play that sharp nine on purpose and like be able to know exactly what it is and where it is without having to have any delay in your thought process. Yeah, exactly. And then just like the fact knowing that, okay, well, I'm in the, I, I can play a minor, something that's in the harmonic minor, even though I'm going back to a major chord. I can play something that sounds totally minor because I know my way around that. I practice these modes and then resolve it to major. And like harmonic minor has some beautiful sounds and colors in it that are used all the time. People don't realize it. Like the four minor, four minor major seven comes off from harmonic minor. And mm-hmm. a bunch of beautiful stuff comes from there. I mean, there's something the diminished major seventh sounds really scary, but it's really pretty. It gives you a lot of really cool sounds from harmonic major. That's what harmonic major is. Is the, the Herbie Hancock and a lot of these players are all up and down the harmonic major seventh uh, <laughs> or, or, or diminished major seventh stuff. Like it's really cool. Yeah. So it's just opening up more possibilities to play uh, still very straightforward theor- theoretically wise. Like you know exactly where you are, but how to open up certain chords and well, I'm going to play, um, I'm going to keep harmonic minor. You can still play um, the five chord with the uh, flat 13. So, you know, if, if, mm-hmm. if you stack the G chords, you can have, or you're doing it just on the guitar, you have G, F, B, E flat, and you, but then you're resolving to let's just say C sevens. You can borrow chords from other from other tonalities to help give you a little more color, and that's just a really easy and accessible way, just through the simple use of modes to figure out how to take these other little routes. And like a lot of the stuff exists within those four modes. There's so much stuff you can get out of that and really practice with. Because then I'll start doing um, I'll start doing a uh, scale exercises like like doing uh descending you'll play two triads and you play the scale down and just mm-hmm. i would stay within my uh my mode fingering too because one thing i totally changed i realized i had a big problem when i i got used to playing wrong was like not thinking about fingering so much so like when we're doing um dorian you know so i'll, I'll actually use these 
three fingers right here for the first three notes. So we're doing Dory in the key of G. I'll go A, B, C, and I'll do a stretch with this finger just so my middle finger, my index, everything stays in the same fret. So everything's mm-hmm. lined up on the same fret. So it's easier when you're reading and just with the dexterity. And you get uh, My hand has gotten a lot more comfortable, and I've started to utilize my ring finger as opposed to my pinky a lot more because I noticed, especially a lot of these uh, R&B and gospel players I've been studying a lot, like Isaiah Sharkey and Jubu Smith, they uh, utilize their ring finger a lot more and their pinky a lot less because I think it actually provides a little more strength and dexterity. Oh, yeah. You know, I used to use my pinky so much, but now I've been changing the way I play these modes and I'm getting a lot more space between this number of strength and it actually opened up a lot more different outlets mm-hmm. to play the same thing I've been playing, but a lot more comfortably and also for the sake of saving your hands because, I mean, I had a teacher at Berkeley, Jack Pesanelli, great dude, he played with a lot of people. He actually gave BB King guitar lessons at some point. It's a really funny story, but he's a great guy. And he's, he's had surgeries and like five, five, six surgeries in both his hands already from just like, Wow, you have to take care. You have to realize what you're doing. And like, I have a, I'm never gonna not do it when I play. This pinky just like tenses up. It'll be a little look like this while I'm playing, you know. Uh-huh. So it's something I got. I started really getting into like playing the modes right and getting the fingerings right and practicing arpeggios, one octave, two octave, and three octave arpeggios, and make sure you're playing all right and you play everything through all of the different. Um, uh, inversions too. You have to make sure you do that because all of a sudden you, you you play some. You play a half diminished uh, arpeggio, but you play it from like second inversion, mm-hmm. or you play it off the flat five or something, and then all of a sudden you're all confused. You know how to play it regularly, but you can't play the same thing on an inversion and because you're doing three octaves. It gets confusing. You know, a lot of classical stuff is really fun to, to do on the guitar for any and all styles. To help get that 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 uh, consistency of perfection down and playing, knowing how to get your shapes down. Like that's a really big thing. Practice that a lot. Love arpeggios and um, chord stuff too. Like thinking about chords as intervals as opposed to thinking of them like as like this is a minor or something. Think about in the key of C and you're going to play all the chords. This is actually a concept from my teacher at Berkeley called trans, uh, trans or triads mm-hmm. where he would do uh, a second and then a fourth. And you go through the scale. So you, you start on, on A. Let's just say, for example, now we're in the key of A, and we'll start on one. So we'll start on A, and you'll play through the scale all the way up the neck, like three octaves, and you'll use a second and a fourth. So your chord will be stacked a second between A, so A to B, and the fourth mm-hmm. from B. So then you have B, E, so A, B, E. Okay. So they're right there. When you analyze that, that's just an A, uh, add, add two, or A, so it's two, whatever you right. think about it, right? Right, right? So you just go up the scale doing that. And there's ways to think about chords and harmony that is more of a – like an interval-based approach, but you're not you're not like you're not having to think like you, once you get the interval thing, it's just a shape. Think all these different shapes, and you get all these different chords that you've been playing all your life, and now it kind of makes sense when you think about it uh, intervagally, but also just within the scale itself. I think I do that with like I alter pentatonics a lot. Yeah, um, like you get so good at that. Like everybody knows their basic that like A yeah. minor pentatonic box at the fifth fret, but like the A mixolydian pentatonic box is like. To yeah. me, I don't know if that's really a thing, but I do it all the time. I kind of got it from listening to a lot of Eric Johnson, but okay. you know, just just go from A to C sharp, get the major third, and it's otherwise it's the yep. same box. Yeah, it, it is kind of like thinking about the intervals. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm not a fan of like learning scales two octaves all the way across because, like, when right. do you ever play rip a scale all the way across? Like, it doesn't sound musical most of the time. No. 
this is like, a, I'm a simply big fan from of a study perspective as yeah. only from a technique perspective. I tend right. to think about like from if I know where my root is at any one point, if I'm in the middle of a solo, I know where my everything is within the chord structure of the mode that I'm playing it around yeah. that note. You know, I might know like an octave either direction. And yep. so that way, like really you're not like yeah, the most musical things often are like playing like a root flat seven kind of little riff and then play a speedy run to get to another area of the yep. fretboard or something, but like yeah, you know, picking out the tasty notes, but just kind of knowing where the root is. I mean, I, the pentatonic scale, though, is so extremely useful in so many different settings. In every single setting, doesn't matter what style of music you're playing, and there's so many ways you can utilize it besides what most people do it for. Because like I was saying earlier, you can take an A minor pentatonic scale and you can play that over many different colors of chords, whether it's A minor, whether it's a C major, B flat major whether seven, it's a B flat major seven, seven. exactly. I'd lo- I love that. It's a great sound. It's <laughs> yeah. a beautiful sound. And you can... Um, but the key to that, I've found... Yeah. Like, I used to work on that, but, like, the key to that is still knowing where you're... Because there's no B-flat in that shape. You have no. to you have to be able to, like, do some of the basic pentatonic yeah. you know, runs and licks you know, but be able to land on a B-flat or right. do another chord tone that makes sense within yeah. whatever you're playing over. Yeah, like not can, conflicting can, with the bass. You know, that's one thing I didn't really think about a lot, and I started changing the way I play chords and chord voices because you don't need to play the bass note when you're playing with groups. Like, mm-hmm. and I, but I got so good at uh, chord melody and just like you know, you pick one note and you play all the different. You can play, every, you know, go chromatically all the way down from E to E and keep a high note of A and play. Yeah. You can start on E and you play a E sus and it goes down to an E flat with sharp eleven and it goes down to mm-hmm. a D minor and then it goes down to this. You know. A over C sharp. Oh, it gets all the way down. That's like the key to to Joe Pass's playing, really. Exactly. It's being he able doesn't to... know anything about theory. He's like, this is the thirteen core. This is like it's not my seven. He doesn't know anything. It's all about he figured out the sounds. He figured out when you take that note and just and and, and moving, especially for him, it's very um, like a lot of the uh, Duke Ellington kind of style thing where you can moving around like dominant sevens a lot, moving mm-hmm. dominant sevens down chromatically. Yeah. It's a really big sound. It's a really, really big sound. We called that a uh, cash in school. Chromatic embellishment of static harmony. Yeah. It's used a lot in big band orchestral music, you know? It sounds really good. Lenny Brown used that a lot too. You just take, um, you deconstruct a chord and you just take the flat seventh and the third and then you play, use other things to play the melody. So if you're playing C, you're playing, let's say you're playing some sort of melody line where you're kind of comping and playing the melody at the same time. Mm-hmm. You have your index finger on B flat, you have your middle finger on E, so you have the tritone mm-hmm. there, and you have your ring finger and your pinky free to add other embellishments and other chord tones and melody lines while the bass is, is hitting C and other stuff around it. So you can give yourself a lot more uh, room to embellish and kind of open it up a little more, not clash so much because you get such a big sound out of certain little things in the guitar, especially seconds. Seconds have such a big sound, especially when you play on the G and B string. And the, as a, for me, that's the beefiest sound, the D, G, and B string, and playing a chord that involves like a second and a uh, fourth. Like seconds and fourths have big, big sounds. Mm. And that's like getting a lot of like chordal uh, modal harmony down and you're playing can take you really far in all styles. And that all circles around pentatonic stuff too. Yeah. It's been, it's been wonderful getting to talk to you. I say this every week. Yeah. I get to like 
make new musical friends over the internet. It's, it's yeah, a you know, awesome thing. I'm starting to get warmed up to this now too. I'd like to do it again, you know. It well, yeah, like I, was, I was just gonna say we'll we'll definitely have you back. Um, what does the what does your future look like? Uh, well, as far as right now, I'll be leaving for Memphis January second, and then um, <laughs> for the rehearsal before the cruise. Yeah, and then the time difference will be drastic, like 12 to 14 hours, I guess, right? Lemonade. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Cole, for joining us. Uh, if you want any information on Cole, obviously visit www.hollandaysmusic.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. And we'll put the link at the bottom of the episode, in the episode description. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, this is really fantastic. Thank you guys very much for having me. You know, we'd love to do it again. Awesome. It's really nice to get get the stuff out and talk about anything yeah. anything yeah. music whether it's business or theory or just being stuck yeah. whatever it is so yeah we'd love to be back awesome thank you Cole really do appreciate it thank you right. y'all have a good one alright All right. see you guys next week <laughs>